Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dick Miller. If you're listening to Junk Food Cinema, who are these guys? episode of Junk Food Cinema, brought to you by FilmSchoolRejects.com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot. The American justice system is corrupt. Uh, welcome to another whiskey-filled edition of oh Junk Food Cinema. Oh my god, the core values on display once again. I, I am... Brian Salisbury, and I am joined by my friend and co-host. He's a novelist, screenwriter, Lieutenant Omega Force, uh, not purveyor so, of whiskeys, uh, somewhat law-abiding citizen, Mister C. Robert Cargo. Hi, everybody. Lo- or I'm sorry. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. I fuck. Mm, okay. No. 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 I have to. I have to keep myself in check here because I am in danger of losing my mind with how excited you are I am. really excited this I'm week so fucking this excited. is something you've brought up several times over the years and the only reason we're doing it is because it's a patron request i love that i didn't have to be the one to make this happen one of our one of our faithful lieutenant of megaforce patrons uh actually said you know what i want you guys to cover more than anything else in the whole world law-abiding citizen well first it was follow that bird and then he realized we already had and then <laughs> then he moved on to the next best thing law-abiding citizen which is very much like follow that bird in a lot of ways if you really think about it it's they're both okay they're both movies about a miscarriage of justice this is also true one with a custody battle and one with uh criminal law but only the criminal law in the city of philadelphia they both end up with in the second half of the movie our main character is caged and unable Ooh, to affect the plot okay no let's keep doing this i like this very much okay two bad guys two bad guys that put that end up are the reason that that person is in a cage all right let's just keep fucking doing this man law-abiding bird Law Abiding Bird is a is a movie that we law were birding def- citizen. Okay, okay. Bird law citizen. <laughs> How many other combinations can we do? <laughs> we should probably get into the uh, the uh, housekeeping. Nest abiding citizen. Before we get into the business, I want to thank Jacob Booth, the patron. Who uh, who said that he really wanted us to cover Law Abiding Citizen? So here we are covering Law Abiding Citizen once again. This is the weekly cult and exploitation film cast. So good it just has to be fattening. And you can follow us on Twitter at Junk Food Cinema. Like the podcast on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Junk Food Cinema. And if you really like the show, I mean, you really like the show. If you like it more than Gerard Butler likes finding his niche and sticking fucking to it. You can go to patreon.com slash junkfoodcinema. For as little as a dollar an episode, you get access to bonus content nobody else gets to hear. And this is why, Cargill, I'm excited about Law Abiding Citizen. 
the Shelton case. Where are we? Let's make the deal. They killed a little girl, Nick. Some justice is better than no justice at all. You need to tell the husband. I don't understand. With Darby's testimony, Ames will go to death row. What? The jury's gonna believe me. The deal is done. I'm sorry. This is just how the justice system works. What was supposed to be a painless execution has turned into something out of a horror film. The machine was corrupted. Who could have done this? I killed your friend Ames in prison, but I wanted to keep you all for myself. Your heart is beating so fast. Me too. Did you murder Clarence Darby? He killed my wife and child. I guess we're done here. Counselor, you might want to cancel your 12.30 lunch with Judge Roberts. Hello? You and whoever else you have helping you are gonna pay. Now you're the one who makes deals with murderers, yeah. So I've come to make mine. Release me or what? Or I kill everyone. We have him locked up and he's still killing people? I found a couple of contract payments from the Department of Defense. Tell us what we're dealing with, a spy? Spies are a diamond dozen. Clyde has a brain and he was the best. If Clyde wants you dead, you're dead. We're gonna lock the city down, put an armed cop on every corner. He's in jail because he wants to be in jail. <laughs> I'm gonna bring the whole system down on your head. It's gonna be biblical. Is that I believe this is the first Gerard Butler film we have ever covered! Spartans! can't be accurate it's it? accurate what other name one other gerard butler movie we've covered oh my god i mean we've made a number of geostorm jokes over the years but, but we've never actually covered geostorm no geostorm no gamer nothing has fallen we have not covered a single I mean, to be fair to be fair to be fair we tend to cover junky movies that are entertaining i don't really you of all people are going to sit there and tell me that Gerard Butler movies are not entertaining. You who fucking programmed an event called Butler Numathon are going to sit there with a straight fu- I'm sorry, with a straight fucking face and tell me that you don't like American actor Gerard Butler. Well, I mean, we didn't watch any of those films because they were good. I don't. Like that's nobody's the- fucking saying they're good, Cargill. The, no, no. <laughs> Court stenographer, read back Jamie Foxx court stenographer, read back the minutes where you said they are not entertaining. I yeah. am not arguing that they're good. Know. I'm not arguing that Gerard Butler movies are good, but this is junk food cinema. God damn it. And when has that ever been the price of admission? Yeah, that's fair. Your honor. I rest my case. I plead guilty. Law abiding citizen uh, directed by F. Gary Gray. A director, I'm. Is this our first F. Gary Gray movie? If so, that I'm ashamed of. Like I would be ashamed of that before I'd be ashamed of this being our first Butler film because Butler really did one of those things where he became that Steven Seagal like actor who just started taking everything and just committing to it in every single one of them and making the films that his audience wanted. Uh, But he did not end up going on to do really great stuff. Uh, whereas, you know, F. Gary Gray's directed legitimately great movies. Uh, he directed Friday. He directed The Negotiator. He directed uh, some really great rap videos, Outcast Miss Jackson, Cypress Hill Still Smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed... 
Uh, he did. Uh, I mean, he did set it off, didn't he? He did set it off. Uh, he made that remake of the Italian Job, which I think gets sh- I think gets shit on unfairly. Yeah, I think that's a fun movie. That's a movie we should definitely cover because oh, that's yeah. a movie where the cast alone is worth watching it, and especially like fifteen years later, it's like. Yeah, that cast is just fun to see. Like, what movie, what universe would you go, you know what, I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to pair Seth Green with... um, uh, uh, With Mark Wahlberg? No, no, no. Uh, Now I've... With Mos Def? With Jason Statham? With Charlize Theron? With... The entire cast of that movie, Edward Norton. You literally have mentioned everyone but the person I was going for. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, who didn't I mention in that fucking you movie? You didn't mention uh, S- Donald Sutherland. God damn it. I was like, which, in what universe would you put God. Seth Green and Donald Sutherland in the same movie? But here it fucking is and it works. F. This, Gary Gray okay. fucking did it. Fucking sidebar. Sidebar. The Italian job feels like, uh, to quote a, a, a joke from a very old episode of How Did This Get Made, that they just put all of Hollywood into a bingo spinner and just started pulling names out of that. That is what thing. that movie is. That movie is Charlie Theron, Edward Norton. Well, at most deaf. I mean. You know, Charlize Theron had huge critical acclaim, but wasn't a huge box office draw at the time. You know, uh, most deaf was they were giving him his shot. Edward Norton was one of the bigger stars in the world at the time. So having him was a big deal. Mark Wahlberg was what drove that movie because he was in the middle of his stardom. How before. you going to fit all this talent into that tiny car, bro? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Dude, before Mark Wahlberg said, I don't need to be your kind of famous. I have my audience that will come to every single one of my movies. So I'm just going to make movies with my buddies now and fucking does. Um, and fucking makes bank doing it. Cause like, he's like, fuck what the mainstream wants. I'm going to make this stuff for my people in Boston and we're just going to make these movies. And there it is. Um, but yeah, no, that's a crazy movie, but F Gary Gray has made so many good movies and is such a great, interesting junk food director. I'm shocked. This is Yeah. Yeah, I'm shocked this is this is the movie where we lean in. It's like, oh, yeah, F, F. Gary Gray's sitting there looking for podcasts about his films. He's like, oh, Junk Food Cinema is covering us. They're covering law-abiding citizens. So it's our first F. Gary Gray. It's our first Ger- Gerard Butler, or I'm just I'm going to call him Jerry Butler uh, for the rest of the episode because uh, Gerard is a, is a name that's terribly hard to say when you've been drinking whiskey. So Jerry Butler in this movie plays Clyde Shelton, and Clyde is a guy who's just a happy-go-lucky father. He's described as a tinkerer. And I want you to remember that word because it's come to, it's going to come into play with my theory about this movie. So he's a tinkerer. We first introduced with it. He's messing with something. He's got a soldering iron. He's putting stuff together. Uh, it's dinner time. He's a happy, uh, happily married man with a family. And this movie goes from zero to David Fincher and about three point seconds flat. We go from, I made you this bracelet, to a woman being murdered and raped in front of her husband. And it's just like, damn, law-abiding citizen, I guess we have no time to fuck around. It's very, you know what's very weird also is that this is, of all things, um, you know, all the various people that F. Gary Gray has worked with all have made movies that have this scene. In fact, at this time, right before Law Abiding Citizen came out, a junk food alum favorite of ours, Death Race 2000, opens with the same goddamn fucking scene. Like oh, it's Death Race. Death Race opens with because yeah. Death Race 2000 people are going to think you mean the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death Race. Like also De- starring Jason Statham, by the way. Yes, Death Race fucking opens with this. 
Um, uh, there's a, this was, a, this was a theme of the time. Hey, let's open up the movie with this character having his family killed. And then he goes to avenge him. And I feel like what F Gary Gray is doing here is actively using that against us because that was a scene used for sympathy for a bunch of like villainous, but likable characters. And you're not, and this gets into the real problem of this movie. This is a fatally flawed film. I'm just going to outright say it. I hated this film beforehand. I was very disappointed when I saw it and now I'm okay on it and I'm fine covering it because I know how much you love it, Mm -hmm. but I don't love this movie and there's very real under underlying reasons why I'm not in love with this movie. And this is, and one of the big things is, is we're supposed to sympathize with Gerard Butler, but he's also the film's antagonist. Right. And the film never, I'll just get into it. This film does a thing in which what it does is if you took this same script, this same story, and you shot it from different perspectives, you made different camera choices, you decide to hang out with one character instead of another during a thing happening, this movie is Gerard Butler's movie and he's the hero without changing anything that he does in the movie because everybody he's getting revenge on in this movie feels like they kind of fucking deserve it. It's not till towards the end when they're like, these are innocent people. And it's like, are they? They're lawyers that were involved with your firm that were involved with this case that have done this untold how many times? Like, are you guys really innocent or are you as part of the system all guilty of this? Like, you know, that's that's a question that the movie would force us to ask if it's told from Gerard Butler's perspective because it's told from Jamie Foxx's perspective. And the movie is designed for us to like him for the most part. And I say for the most part, we end up accepting that what we're we're supposed to be against Gerard Butler and we want to see it end. But me as a viewer, I'm like, I don't know, man, you're sending really mixed messages and I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for. And so I'm never allowed to enjoy any of it. Like, I can't really like I'm not really disturbed by the violence because all of these people have it coming, but I'm not enjoying the violence because you're trying to humanize all these people at the same time. So I'm just kind of confused as to how I'm supposed to feel the whole time, but not in a way that makes me question the justice system. Let me say this. You're wrong, but you're not wrong. I'll allow it. (laughs) I want to counter what you said, counselor, uh, with this question. Have you ever known someone who would get really drunk and have a very important thing to say, and they're saying it, and they're making a point, but it is it falls flat entirely. It is it's a fucking sandcastle. They don't understand why what they're saying doesn't make any sense, but they're so passionate, and they think they're making a great point. That's this movie for me. Right. This movie thinks it's saying something, and it has no idea how poorly it's saying. Except that when you spend ten dollars to hear that, there's whiskey involved, and instead of I just paid ten dollars for that. So my whiskey with this film is the insane Saw-level murders in the fucking movie. This movie is basically a Saw sequel. There is a version of this movie that I would love. I would really love it. I will tell you the thing, the big problem I have with this movie is the third act twist when we, we reveal how he's doing it. And we'll get into this. But when we get to how he's doing it, that's where the movie's like, wait, really? Because this was almost a super cool movie. Like, you really you really had it right there. Like, you've set up this movie that I was into, and you keep holding out this glass. Do I need to refill your no, glass? No, I'm trying to pop my 
my elbow. My elbow keeps getting... Sorry, it has nothing to do with the glass. I'm, I'm happy being, to give you all the whiskey you want, my friend. It's me being... Old Man Brian. Yeah, all of a sudden that song... I hate it. I hate it's, that it's it rings now. true, doesn't it? It does. It hurts. Um, yeah. Hurts so, all my gray hairs. So it uh, it is an... It is a thing that, like, this movie, were the ending not the ending, I'd be like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's crazy, man. That movie's gnarly. But then they try to root it down to make this make sense, and you're like, oh, but even that doesn't make sense, but it's a disappointing doesn't make sense. Like, I am down with Gerard Butler being fucking Jigsaw. I'm fucking down with that. I'm down with the idea that he literally gets himself arrested and put in jail just to fucking confound everybody as everything he set into motion a month ago and that he's been planning for years goes off without a hitch and there's literally nothing they can do about it because he's outthought and outthought them. Yeah. But this movie also feels like I honestly, this is legit. I honestly feel like there's reshoots involved in this. Oh, 100%. I honestly feel, I think there's a version of a rough cut of this movie out there where um, one of the things that gets delivered to the home is pictures of the two lawyers getting it on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Where is that scene? Yeah. How is that on in this movie? When you... Okay. Jamie Foxx has an assistant in this movie that ends up being... uh, He ends up making her career and making her a lead counselor as well. And she's played by Leslie Bibb. Leslie Bibb, who's been in a thousand different things. I know her most as... Uh, Pete's original girlfriend from the league, uh, but she is she's been in a thousand. Things. What isn't she the daughter from Taken? No, that no. is uh, that is her clone. That is her clone who was on Lost, whose name I am. Yes, so she is now. not the girl from Lost and from that. No, she's not. She, she's not Duck Runner Girl, who, which is what I call the girl from Taken, because even though she is thirty years old, she's playing like a sixteen-year-old who runs like a duck. That's Taken. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, no, there, where is that? I was waiting. You know what? Yeah. It's so much, Cargill, that I remembered that scene being in this movie. I know. And I'm waiting for it to happen. Because that's exactly what you expect in this movie, where you're trying to bring happen. somebody down, you destroy their life. And how do you destroy their life? You reveal their awfulness to their family. Well, you like, keep showing Jamie Foxx's perfect family, and then you keep showing him elevating Leslie Bibb's career and spending time with her. But it's not even that. Like, that, I think, is, you know... Uh, is par for the course for F. Gary Gray. Like F. Gary Gray has always been a very woke filmmaker and, and always been trying to make progressive movies. Um, but the, so that doesn't surprise me. It's the googly eyes. They fucking make at each other, this entire goddamn movie and the way they talk to each other, like, Oh yeah, they've boned. Like it may be that they just boat. They were boning while they were making this movie. Like they had a relationship and that's just how it's all coming out because that happens on movies. I haven't seen Jamie Foxx make googly eyes like this since Ray. That is how intense it is. It is so intense. It's practically a Christmas Folgers commercial. (laughs) It is. It is a brother and sister. Think of the other as the present. (laughs) Oh, I love how I just derailed you with that. I love all of that a sudden you you're just skated like, right past my gray googly eyes joke <laughs> so that you can talk about incest porn in a Folgers commercial. I feel that you have topped my shittiness as a human being. You're welcome. Like you have to, you are you're such welcome. a fucking one-upper that you have to one-up the sliminess too. And I feel like you should reevaluate your life and think about your choices. Also, yes, I will take more whiskey. Now I am holding. <laughs> yeah, now I, I am uh, holding it out, not because of my elbow. I am. I am thinking about my choices, and I'm very happy with them. <laughs> 
All right, if I could stop your hatred of this movie for just oh, no, a no. second. I don't hate this movie anymore. Let's do that. Okay, but you're going very F Gary Gray. You're all like, F Gary Gray. And I'm like, no, let's bring it back. I wanted to get that out of the way so we could talk about what I dig about this movie. Like, now it's out of the way, so now people are like, all right, Cargill has issues with this movie. So when I'm like, all right, but the cell phone scene, let's talk about that. There's some really great stuff. And that's my, my disappointment in this is it's such a good idea. It is such a good idea for a movie that the fact that they only fail to deliver on it in the third act is truly disappointing because everything else in this movie works. Like, that's the thing is the rest of this movie, Butler goes for it in this in a way I truly respect. I totally dig that. Um, we, we see, uh, Jamie Foxx turn into the skit of what his career was at this point in time where he was everybody's favorite lovable, nice guy. Yeah. Like he's, he's the Will, he's the Will Smith of the mid two thousands. Yeah. Like, and he's going for it here. We're like, this is literally a Will Smith role from another movie. We haven't talked about that. We should have. Um, but it's an after earth after will where it's like, yeah, we can't really. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is in the area where he wasn't making those movies anymore. And we have Jamie Foxx making these movies and he's, he's doing it great. He's doing it with gusto. The movie we need to fucking cover that we still haven't yet, uh, is, um, doing it great, doing it with gusto, which sounds like a great movie title. Enemy of the state. Yeah. We need to, we need to cover enemy of the state at one point. People are screaming at us on Twitter about not covering that. You know what? Let's uh, before, before I have to go off and make, Make a movie. Stop telling people you're leaving. Do you know? Sidebar. Do you know how much shit I've been getting on social media because you quote unquote announced that you were leaving the show? I I'm definitely taking a sabbatical. Okay. Say that because that's not what you fucking said. And I have had to put out fires on social know. media okay, because guys. people think you're leaving the show. I I Okay. I don't know what the future's bringing. I know that I'm making two movies this year. Also, this, this, saying it on air and then like putting me in a position where I have to put out fires is not, quote, a lot of notice. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Which is what I was told I would have. I didn't, this is not a lot of notice. I didn't think, I didn't think uh, everybody would react so strongly. I didn't know that you guys were feeling that way. You basically came on and said the show is ending and people got pissed. I'm not saying the show's ending because I thank you. That's what you should have said the first time. I'm saying that I don't know if I can do it as much as I'm doing it, and that makes me sad. Thank. Why didn't you just say that the first time? What you said the first time is basically like, "Good night, everybody." The end of junk food cinema forever. That is not abiding by the law of junk food cinema, sir. So before the show ends terribly in a fire over a cliff like a battle truck. <laughs> That's the way this fucking show is going to end. <laughs> it's really going to end like battle truck. It's just going to be boom. It's going to be you and I holding hands like Thelma and Louise driving the battle truck off the cliff. That is what it is. No, uh, Directed we, by Ridley Scott. Like we, we're de- we, we definitely said we're doing uh, Red October. We should do, we should do Great Scott. Great Scott and Red October both need to be things that happen for sure. Yes, absolutely. But I do. Are I, we still recording? Yeah. Shit. All I'm right. just. I, I will say though that it looks like unless something weird happens, I'm making two movies this year. Well, so, good for you. Like there will be chunks of time where I'm just absent. And those chunks of time, we will we will muddle through somehow, like the Christmas song says, and then you will get your ass back here, and we will keep doing this show. I'm going to get my ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. So we will not cover the Total Recall remake, but you will be here. 
you'll back after you're you're so busy. I and I, I applaud you. That's great. I think it's great that you're busy. When you're not busy anymore, you get your ass back here. We keep doing this show. I don't think you understand how much I've got to keep this show going. <laughs> You think it's a joke when I say patreon.com slash junkfoodcinema. It's not a joke when I say patreon.com no, slash junkfoodcinema. Yeah, no. And no matter how hard it's gotten and no matter how tight my schedule's gotten over the years, it's I, I know how important this is to both of us. And but yes, that by the way, yes, uh you those of you that participate in Patreon literally keep the lights on. So if you haven't joined on Patreon, you're like, I could afford to throw in four bones a month, one bone a week for an episode. Uh I may not listen to the extra content, but I'll help put diapers on Brian's fucking baby. They're expensive. That's literally what this show does. They're expensive. Um and, uh, and I'm I, not making two movies this year, and so I, I could really use the boost. I, I don't take a dime uh, from from anything and haven't uh, since we started. Uh, this is everything here is Brian does all the busy work and uh, I just show up to talk about prophecy. Uh, but this week, I'm loving this whiskey, by the way. It's really good. It's isn't a it? really good whiskey. Uh, this is for those of you that want to drink along with the home game. We're drinking Glen Morangi. Uh It's the sherry cask finish. It's the La Santa. Uh, it is one of my favorite go to. A for it's called La Santa. Is it Armand La Santa? <laughs> it's funny because it's a Scottish whiskey called La Santa. Oh no, it's an American bourbon called La Santa. <laughs> oh yes, that no, fucking no, accent are, is crawling out of his ears. He's trying to hold it in so much. We're 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 drinking the Scottish whiskey that's pretending to be Spanish, um, <laughs> much like a Scotsman who pretends to be from Philadelphia from for Philadelphia. fuck's sake. Uh, no, this is really good stuff. For those of you that are whiskey aficionados, uh, the La Santa in particular, it's a sherry cask. I love sherry cask whiskeys, uh, but generally a good 18-year sherry cask whiskey will run you $120 a bottle, and this stuff goes for like 55 So uh, if you like something that tastes like it's 18 years old but costs like it's only 10 years old, this is the whiskey for you. So... Clyde's family is murdered, and... <laughs> Love! Hold on. Stargrove! Stargrove! Very good. Uh, Clyde's family is murdered, and uh, it turns out that Nick Rice, who is an up-and-coming lawyer in the city, who he, he is a guy who is obsessed with keeping his high conviction rate, realizes, and this is where... My favorite thing about this movie is the thing that I think maybe bothers you the most, is that it doesn't make any fucking sense none of this movie makes a goddamn lick of sense and i enjoy it for that uh the first thing that makes no fucking sense to me as somebody who studied forensic psychology is that jamie fox the lawyer doesn't think that with an eyewitness to a double murder that these guys won't go to prison he's like no our case isn't strong enough if you know anything the about motherfucker the- literally stabbed me i think i can pick him out of a lineup if you know anything about the american justice system if you have an eyewitness Everything else you can throw in the fucking garbage. That is it. I was I was reading an interesting story on Reddit the other day where the question was, hey, lawyers, what's the dumbest thing your client ever did? And one guy's like, all right. So one time I'm trying a case, and it's these two Asian men who had broken into someone's house and attacked her. And the uh, prosecution said, ma'am, can you identify uh, the man who attacked you? And she's looking, and she's being very white about it and can't tell the difference between these two men and the guy who did it raises his hand and points to himself. He goes, yo, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Because for a moment he was so bothered by the racism. He forgot 
that his life was on the line. Let me just say that that guy is not going to get a six-part documentary on Netflix about his case. <laughs> Holy shit. But no, and that's actually the biggest problem with the American justice system is that if you have an eyewitness, no matter how racist they are or how much they can't identify somebody of another race, they will still go to jail. Barry Jenkins literally then went and made a movie about that. <laughs> Here's the thing. Why then would this black lawyer not understand that concept and go, eyewitness, oh, I don't know, we better, we better cut a deal. It's like, okay, you're fucking ridiculous. That's nuts. So he cuts a deal that if the guy who did all the murdering Turned state's evidence a guy who against the guy who was just there stealing candlesticks. Can we talk about how this oh escalated th- quickly? When you said none of this makes sense, like this crime, like the idea that hey, I'm gonna rape this woman and murder a child was part of a breaking and entering scheme. What were they doing? Like, none of it makes sense. Like, the guy thinks, he's like, what are you doing? And it's like, what did you think we're doing? We're breaking into someone's house at six o'clock at night. We literally rang the doorbell and hit them with a bat. What what kind of crimes did you think this was? Like, none and of I that. I get that. I'm not saying he's innocent, but for no, the love of God. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying, where's the, lo- what were they doing? What was their plan? Like, one guy seems to be like, yeah, we're all about raping and killing and stealing and stuff. And the other guy's like, wait, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, what did you think you were, like, what was your plan, Dude, coaches? You signed up to ride shotgun with not quite Donald Logue. This shit's going to happen with not quite Donald Logue. And so the deal is cut. The, the, the obviously more heinous criminal. Are you saying Donald Foe? Donald Foe. Uh, well, but it's P-H-A, like the fucking bowl of, of, of Vietnamese noodles that, that is delicious. Uh, so Donald Logue goes free, uh, and the guy who didn't really do any of the killing is sent to death row, and then we flash 10 years later, and I loved watching this with my wife because she goes, why did it take him 10 years to get revenge? And I'm just like, just you wait. This plan is insanely elaborate. Just wait for it. And we cut to uh, a scene from Dead Man Walking, uh, which, guys, there are appropriate, like, side-by-side, we're creating duality-type shots. And then there is the execution theater of a prison and a little girl's uh, cello recital back-to-back that I'm just like, I don't know, maybe, maybe dial it down a little bit. It's a little on the nose. It's a little. Uh, it's a little air on the g-string. Let's just put it that way. It's a little on the nose. And so this guy who is being executed, who you actually feel for, I got to say this. I have to say this. If there is a legitimate performance in this whole movie that you can actually feel bad for, it's Josh Stewart as the guy who's executed because he's like the wrong man's dying today. I didn't kill those people. I just wanted to say that. And then what proceeds to happen is. A fucking nightmare where this dude is convulsing and a, and and turning into a, a monster and I don't know what the fuck is happening on this table. I think it's zombie experimentation. Which, by the way, by the fucking way, uh, one of our researchers actually grew up near the prison where this was filmed, and one of the things about that prison is that it very often got in trouble before it was closed in '95 for doing experiments on prisoners. So this, when you know that and you watch the scene and it's just like, did Clyde do this? Is this Clyde? Are you telling me that that was a Philadelphia experiment? I'm not going to flip this table because this laptop is literally all I have in there expensive. And uh, and there's really good whiskey on there. 
but fuck you for coming up with that before me. God fucking damn it. I can't believe it took you that long. Also, a film we're going to cover before, you know, the inevitable burning and collapse. Stop Stop doing that. (laughs) Sanctus Asante. I'm going to say to you what they said in the first Iron Man. Don't tell them that shit. They'll believe that shit. (laughs) Do not tell them that shit. They will believe that shit. By the way, this prison is shaped like a star, like it's a fucking Novacore headquarters. What the fuck with this build? It's an actual building. It's a prison that got shut down in 95, like we mentioned, but it's shaped like a star, which feels like, I don't know, obscene that it's like, it's this hardcore prison and it's shaped like a star. So this guy goes down you hard. Have to get your game on and go play. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Uh, so this guy ends up dying badly and it turns out somebody messed with the chemicals in his lethal injection. Put a chemical in the chicken that makes it crave for it nightly. That's why, smart ass. Yeah, the weird thing about that chemical, though, is that not only does it, like, is it a painful death, he starts bleeding all over his body. His veins are bursting. It gives him, like, tumors like he's in fucking Return of the Living Dead. What is going on? It's like, wow. What did you, by the way, and oddly enough, not the grossest part of that scene. Not the grossest part. Grossest of that part scene. of that scene is when the uh, the lawyer compliments the other lawyer's legs in those shoes. The guy who plays Junior Soprano's lawyer on The Sopranos, and that's how I know him. He is Mel Voin from The Sopranos. Uh, tells Leslie Bibb that her legs look great in that skirt, and you are right. Way more disgusting than what happens. That You're just kind of like that makes you cringe, and then it's like, oh, then there's a terrible death. Yeah. Um, it's kind of oh, like, yeah. oh. Died. By the way, one of the movies they filmed at this prison before it was closed. Fallen. Fuck yeah. So that makes me wonder, is the spirit of that guy in the execution chamber now traveling to every other person? Like, how frustrating would it be? Here's my pitch for this movie. How frustrating is it for you as Elias Coteas that your spirit leaves your body in the execution chamber and goes into the next guy that Gerard Butler kills? And it's like, God God damn it, now I gotta go into the... Motherfucker, stop killing all these people. I'm trying to move from soul to soul, and you keep killing these people. I know. I'll get into the body of a lawyer. Nobody will notice a demon here. (laughs) Boom. I will be a fucking intern on the team of people for the assistant DA of Philadelphia. There's no way that person's getting killed. Who could possibly have a... This guy, fucking Gerard Butler. I'm a random Asian character with one line in the movie. Can't possibly... Nope, Gerard Butler killed her too. I am a I am a murderer already in prison that had nothing to do with anything to Gerard. Oh, I got stabbed in the neck. God damn it, Gerard Butler. All, also not Donald Logue. Also not. There's so many not Donald Logues in this movie. But that's that's what's so frustrating is like Gerard Butler has the same misplaced vendetta as Michael Myers in part six, where it's like you're going after the family of the people that adopted your sister. And that what? That is where this movie really goes off the rails for me when he's like I'm gonna fight against the system and he becomes the thing is is he becomes a Batman villain but oh he- god damn don't not step on the dick of what I was oh I have a whole thing I have a whole thing about that how can I not step on your dick if you keep it like hidden away well I mean you know like if you're gonna save it for the end of the show ask my wife like literally this this character is clearly he's that. the Joker fucking Gerard Butler is the Joker I- Gerard Butler is the Joker and he's in Arkham, and fuck it. If you put a cape on Jamie Foxx, and you put clown makeup on Gerard Butler, he, this movie is the best Joker origin story I've I seen this year. I don't know. He To me, he strikes me very much as Deadshot crossed with the Riddler. Like, he's, 
He's a great, he's a great Batman villain. Like the whole thing is he has set up how you're going to die two weeks before it happens. And then he, you, there's nothing you can do about it. He is, he is like in the original Watchmen comic at the end where Ozymandias goes and monologues and they're like, well, we're here to stop you. He's like, you morons. Like I launched that 15 minutes before you got here. Like it's already done. Dude, we're that's just having, before I walked in the room. We're just having a conversation while that happens. It's too late. And it's like, oh shit, this guy really outthought us. And that is, that is a perfect Batman villain. Cause that's the person that Batman then has to think out. He has to outthink himself. Okay, how would I solve this problem? Because this is how this guy thinks I'm going to solve it. And then how would I do that if I weren't doing that? Because he's already thought of that too. So I have to think of the thing that I would think of that he wouldn't think of. And that's where I thought this movie was going. And honestly, that is not where this movie goes. Where this movie goes is they have set up a perfect villain who then just fucks up part of his plan because he's overconfident and because he's overconfident, he doesn't do one simple thing that would prevent the end of the movie from being the end of the movie. And that's where Foxman sweeps in and beats him. I'm telling you, this is basically, I will say it again, the best Joker origin story that I've seen in the last year. I don't understand how a guy who's so good at all this doesn't put something in the briefcase that prevents the explosives from moving. Cause that's a thing you do when you do that, you make it to where, Oh, we can't move this bomb because if we do, it's going to blow up and we can't remove this cell phone because if we do, it's going to blow up. Like this bomb was placed here and then couldn't be moved. All we can do is get the people out from upstairs. But if we notify them, he's watching and it's going to blow up. Like, how do you solve that problem without, well, Gerard Butler just didn't think about that part. Why didn't he just pull strings with his fucking government friends and get both of these guys on? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Death Row. The real thing that I get is that his frustration is not with these guys because he understands they're animals and they just need to die like animals, but that Jamie Foxx is not necessarily the worst guy, but he made a terrible decision in terms of justice and who knows how many decisions he's made and he's trying to prove a point to that guy. This is literally a battle of wills. Like at the end of the movie, he hasn't lost, which is again what I was talking about early on, which is this movie shot from his perspective, he wins. Like Jamie Foxx yeah. kills him. Jamie Foxx does what Jamie Foxx would not have done at the beginning of this movie, would not have done 10 years ago. And from here on out, this is going to haunt him. All of these deaths are going to be on his shoulders for the rest of his life. He is now a broken man who has resulted in the death of so many people from one mistake he made to protect his win rate because he was afraid. What if I lost this? And again, going back to what you were saying, how could a black uh, lawyer in Philadelphia not think he had a fucking key witness with an eyewitness, not just an eyewitness, but an eyewitness who was attacked by this person and witnessed he the murder. He doesn't understand law at all. Later on, he calls, he calls Gerard Butler's non-confession a slam dunk. 
And it's like, dude, he clearly didn't actually confess to anything. No. Are you fucking kidding me? How are you a prominent lawyer? Are you fucking shitting me on this? No, and it's and that's the thing is both of these characters are not as smart as we are told the entire time. We're told how brilliant they are the whole movie, and then they keep making mistakes in what they're doing that are simple mistakes. Like, wait, why, you know, why would you make that simple law mistake? Why would you make that bomb easy to pick up and bring back to the fucking prison like that? Like, why is that? But let's get into my big pet peeve. Let's I thought talk we already did now. that. Now we're doing it again. F Gary Gray, says Cargill. The big solution. What is going on? How is he? How have all these murders he's brilliantly set up being accomplished outside without him doing it? Does he have an accomplice? No. Has he has he brilliantly set these things into motion weeks in advance and have them pretty much on what's a dead man's hand switch in which when something doesn't respond, this comes into play? Is this going? No. He spent years buying properties around the prison so he could tunnel into the prison so that when he gets sent to that prison, he could then leave anytime he wanted. He's Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's, He's digging, digging tunnels. tunnels. The whole movie is him just Andy Dufresne-ing all over this fucking thing. And it's ins- And my favorite part is I'm watching this movie, right? And uh, we get to the scene with the, the steak dinner uh, where... He stabs his fuck, which I think is a great kill in this movie, by the way. Oh, it is. Where he he makes this whole of thing Of all the about, people that don't deserve necessarily to be killed. That dude. I feel like had they told us what he did. We gotta know. We'd feel a little better. But he was like so kind of chill where he's just like, uh, he's like, what happens if I don't share this with you? I'll split your fucking head open. And, all right, come on, sit down. And yeah. then he's just like, hey, you want some? Yeah. And they're just, and they're in, they're having a nice meal. And it's yeah. like, oh, hey, you're like playing games with the fucking warden, but you're getting me a steak fucking dinner and mac and goddamn cheese from this great restaurant. Dude, we're cool. You can have your nice big. Reshoots. This is a reshoot problem. All you needed to do was one black and white fucking flashback shot where those two guys that broke into Gerard Butler's house had a getaway driver, and it's this fucking guy. That's all you had to do. All you had to do was show him sitting in the car. Oh, shit's getting real in there, and he drives off. And to fuck, and it, everything is fine. But no, it's just some random inmate that gets fucking stabbed in the neck like... Like, it's fucking blood in, blood out. Bound by honor. And it's getting shanked by uh, by uh, Delroy Lindo. I mean, if we're doing that, how would he know he's getting put in the the in that cell? How he knows is he snuck into the prison and pretended to be a prisoner and murdered that prisoner in the shower and snuck back out. Like, yeah. he's already, like, set everything in motion. Like, he's, like, killing fucking everybody. And my wife asked that same question. How did he know he could put in that specific cell? And I said... Uh, I think he just dug tunnels into every fucking cell. No, he did. They actually explained that in the movie. They're like, wait, he dug into every cell, but it's not on camera. So it feels like an ADR. Like somebody said, how did we? Oh, we just explained. That's how we explained that question. That Jamie Foxx voice suddenly sounds like he dug into every cell. And it's like, wait, that's clearly not Jamie Foxx. What the fuck, ADR? Let's get into what happens to the people as as Jerry Butler is uh, is enacting his vengeance. We already talked about the the uh, tampered with execution, and then he gets a hold of the guy who actually did the killing. And that's where it goes full saw. That, when it's fucking literally with a saw, cuts this guy into pieces and keeps him alive with adrenaline and gives him pufferfish toxin that keeps him uh, paralyzed but able to feel pain. And it's just like, okay, this is... And immediately... Immediately, I will say this about this movie, and one of the things that I enjoy about it is how it it starts strong and falls apart in terms of its moral compass, 
because its morality is a fucking house of cards in this movie. Because, yes, when it goes from zero to David Fincher and we see uh, his wife not only gets stabbed in front of him, but then the insinuation she's immediately raped and then he walks off with this kid, not only insinuating that he murders a child, but also probably sexually assaults that kid, I am down for everything bad that happens to those guys. Everything. I am not even... I am not shedding a fucking tear. I'm not wincing. Like, yeah, fuck that guy. Murder him as horribly as possible. As the movie goes on, though, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm with you anymore, Gerard Butler. I think this is like, and I think that the thing that starts it is a weird thing. The thing that starts the turn for me is not, is not him blowing up random interns. It's not him stabbing the random dude in the neck. It's when he tells the judge, you probably take it up the ass. And I was like, what, what was the, what was the purpose of that line exactly? And, and and not only that, that judge did nothing wrong. That judge did nothing wrong in that original case against the guy who murdered his. That judge literally is fed the recommendation from the, here's the appeal, here's the deal. Okay, I'm just literally here at this point courtside to tell you the trial is over. I well, did nothing wrong. Well, and that is that is deliberate. That is this movie going, hey, you thought this is a cool revenge movie. You thought this. And in fact, what this is, how the movie is structured, how it's set up, it is literally an inverse of The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. I guarantee you that's where this came from was someone was like, what if the Count of, it's the Count of Monte Cristo, but he's trying to break into prison instead of get out of prison yeah. and is killing everyone from prison. Yeah. And somebody who was really high at the time went, holy shit, dude, that's genius. You can write that. Um, like that's what this whole thing feels like. It's it, And it's definitely structured that way to where it's supposed to lose you. It's supposed to force you to ask questions because it wants to be deep about this issue, but doesn't have much to say about this issue. No. And it's really funny. Like we brought this up earlier, you know, you've got a movie like, um, uh, if Beale Street could talk, which goes way into these issues and how unfair this is and how the justice system isn't about justice and all of that and does all that without the revenge. And you want the revenge, which drives that movie. You want to see this cop get his comeuppance for having destroyed this family, but he never fucking does. Um, that is how you make people feel moral outrage. You don't have somebody go and get the revenge and then go, see, revenge isn't worth all that because at the same time, you're kind of like, yeah, but I'm still, I'm not with him, but I'm kind of with him. Yeah. Like, because uh, the people on the outside aren't that good either. Like, there are no superheroes in this fucking story. No, but there is a supervillain, and I think that's the reason this movie holds my attention and holds me even when it starts to fall apart, is that at that point, it's not a, it's not a revenge film anymore. It's a supervillain origin story. It's like fucking Chronicle. And that's why I think he's a great Batman villain and why I cited Batman in particular because this is the this is Batman versus who he could have become. Like this is this is a guy who's smart enough to be Batman, but he doesn't have the sense of justice to not kill. No, he's specifically the anarchist Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah. He that is specifically who this character is right down to the point that that death of that mayor feels like something like if the Dark Knight had been ridiculous, it would have been that scene where it's, that judge gets fucking murdered by also her needs to be mentioned. This came out a year after the dark night. It's true. That's true. And fucking that's what the craziest part about this was watching it where it's like 10 years later. And I'm like, this movie was made over 10 years ago. So technically that scene of the trial was 20 years ago. That's fucking nuts. Especially as it. And I, I remember there were subtle things like Jamie Foxx is walking around with a Palm pilot in that first trial scene. And you don't think anything of it, and then you're like, "Oh, it's because it was ten. It was 1999, essentially, uh, and that's fucking crazy." And then once it starts getting 
bug nuts insane. Once Gerard Butler is caught and we see his his Gerard butt because he's arrested naked, and of course we got to get Gerard Butler naked. In well, a movie. it was it was the odds. If Gerard yeah. Butler was in the movie in the odds, you needed to show off the abs or you needed to show off the butt. It it should he have was, been. He was that genera- He was that generation's Mel Gibson. Oh, dude, his career could have been called P.S. I work out. Um, and yeah, it, it, he gets arrested, and from there it's just a series of. Like fucking seven things where it's like I kidnapped the lawyer and he's only got this much air. And if you get me my steak and my food by one o'clock, then he'll be rescued. And then from there, it's like I'm going to stab the guy in the neck, go into solitary. And then it's just like murder after murder after murder. And that fucking dude, that scene where they're talking in the judge's office. And again, I want to point out this judge has really done nothing wrong. In fact, in the scene where he chastises her, chastises her like, you know, you were going to let me go and I supposedly killed two people? It's like, yeah, dude, because what you cited was absolutely correct. They didn't have a confession. They had no evidence. It made no sense to hold you without bail. She was actually upholding your fucking rights and you're telling her she takes it up the ass. And it's just like, wait, wh- Because this now? movie wants you to question the, you know, the rights we grant prisoners versus what justice really is. And that's, and that's, again, this movie's failing is it's murky morality. Like it does, it, it wants to say something profound. It wants to say that the system's fucked up, but none of its lessons actually make it like a goddamn sense. It's like, what are you saying? The minute somebody's accused of a crime, they should be you know, thrown into an oubliette and never see the light of day again? Yeah. Like, is that what you're literally saying? Are you saying that, hey, you know what? A bunch of this evidence isn't actually really good evidence. And they do a really interesting point at the beginning of the movie in which we see them come in. They're wearing trash bags on their feet and gloves. It's clear that they are protecting themselves. Any DNA evidence was probably destroyed because they knew what they were doing and dropped the stuff on it to destroy it. You know, they threw bleach on blood. You know, he was probably wearing a condom when he raped the wife, like things like that, where you're just like, oh yeah, they couldn't find anything authentic. And then they have the flimsiest of evidence, as you pointed out, eyewitness testimony from a victim of the crime. That's fucking ridiculous. When this movie starts going from, uh, when it starts saying that criminals are treated too well, it goes from being woke to being that uncle on Facebook. I'm sorry. Like you have really got to fucking pick a lane here. That is crazy to me when it goes from like the justice system is fucked up to criminals have it too good. It's like, okay, what are we even goddamn saying anymore? And by the way, we talked about the Andy Dufresneing and the tunneling out of prison prison. Do you know who was originally supposed to direct this movie? No. Frank Darabont. I shit you not. Frank Darabont left over creative differences and F. Gary Gray came on. This was this close to being another prison movie directed by Frank Darabont. If he Darabont. left on creative differences, it was probably, this ending doesn't make any sense. You need to let me rewrite it to make sense because this movie isn't worthwhile unless he's really doing all the killings from inside the prison. Because if he's not doing the killings from inside the prison, then he's not nearly as special as we believed he is. And that's always disappointing. And, and I got to say this about Gerard Butler in general, and here's here's why I've really come to appreciate Gerard Butler, is I feel like he is a guy who they tried to make work as one thing, tried to make him work as a romantic lead, and it just was like, something about this isn't working. And then he realized that he had a much more fruitful career as being the lead in crappy action movies, but he's dedicated to it. He is 
dedicated oh. to these crappy action oh, movies. The thing is, is you when you sign on Gerard Butler, you get Gerard Butler. Yeah. You have never watched Gerard Butler sleepwalk through a movie that you should clearly be sleepwalking through the way Andy Garcia is through fucking Geostorm. Like, Geostorm is one of those movies where you're just like, why, why are we even here? And Gerard Butler's like, we're here to make the greatest movie ever made. And... Yeah. By the way, it was supposed to be, apparently supposed to be him as Nick and Jamie Foxx as Clyde. And J- the story goes that Jamie Foxx called the producers and said that he would rather play Nick. And Gerard Butler was asked to play Clyde. And he goes, wait, Jamie Foxx as Nick and me as Clyde? Oh, that sounds awesome. And that's what I love about Gerard Butler. Is that there's no fucking ego of him being like, no, I signed on to play a lawyer in fucking Philadelphia. That's what I was born to play. I Okay, here's a weird... I'm going to be very vague about this. Vague booking. Vague booking. But I've <laughs> got a movie that I'm, I'm putting together right now. And we went out to an actor I have a, um, I have a relationship with. And we're like, look, we'd really like you for it. I really like you for this role, but we could have you for either of these roles. And the actor came back with, oh, I've got to do the villain role. I got to do this role. Like, I have to do it. Like, this is this is a role I have to do for my soul and for my career. And I was like, oh, well, okay. we thought you wouldn't want to do that. We were, here's the, we wanted you to play this, but oh, fuck yeah. I, I can't wait. And I told Jess, I'm like, yeah, he wants to play that role. Oh, and she got giddy. Like there is a certain thing to choosing to make that kind of a role and that kind of a decision that is both exciting for all of the creatives and exciting for the audience. And seeing Gerard Butler play the supervillain question the mark Joker. in this is um, was a really interesting choice. Uh, I'd love to see him do more of that. I love him to see more, do more of that in movies with better third acts. Um, so get ready to see Ethan Hawke and Gerard Butler in Law Abiding Citizen 2, Clyde Has Fallen. I can't wait to fucking see that, Cargill. Thank you for telling us what movie you're working on. Trash the Caddy, Clyde. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's that's the scene you have to you watch this movie, and then right when they're standing in the parking lot after the 6 a.m. rolls around, you cut over and just watch the clip of him going trash the caddy Clyde, and then all of those rich people's cars blowing up. This is very true. This is very true. Also, uh, speaking of uh, of Ethan Hawke, Gerard Butler keeps quoting Nick's line about it's not what you know, it's what you can prove in court. It's the same line Denzel uses in Training Day. So this movie's not even dipping into its own shit. Like, it's like ripping off everybody. Is else. Ethan Hawke the only actor I know? Is that what you're assuming? No, but it was just a nice connection. Plus, uh, yeah. apparently one of the people they brought in to uh, alter the script a little bit when Darabont left was David Ayer. So he's got a, a pass on this movie. Uh, yeah, so it, there's, there's a lot of fucking craziness to that. And then we go from there to... Uh, Gerard Butler murdering a judge with her own cell phone. And I think, honestly, was one of the greatest cinematic moments for me in a theater in 2009 was when she picks up this phone and the phone shoots her in the head. I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know how That's else to describe no, it. There is no, it, the phone shoots her in the head. It doesn't make it like a goddamn sense, but it fucking happened. Can you hear me now? Dead. Because it was 2009, you could still make that joke. And it just, it, she picks up the phone. And they, it's a weird Chekhov's gun situation Chekhov's gun phone because earlier in the movie she gets on to Jamie Foxx for having his phone on in court 
And it's like, did you really need to set up why a person would answer their own phone? No, but you're gonna? Okay, we're gonna fucking bury the phone gun in the first act where it's like, you need to stop using your phone in court. And then her phone rings during that meeting and he's like, after all the shit you gave me about using my phone in court. She's like, I'm a judge. I can do what I want. Hello, dead. Yeah. I love that scene. Because that scene is so fucking ridiculous. But at the same time, we've had a character tell us now by this point, Jamie Foxx has been told by a character that should have been. Pl- I'm going to, you know what, Cargo? I'm not even going to tell you who I thought this character. The character that tells Jamie Foxx and Bruce McGill, Bruce McGill in this movie we stand Bruce McGill. That is a fucking legend. Oh God, yes, Bruce McGill's like, and Bruce McGill is kind of the like beating heart of this movie. He's like the only person. He's actually the only person in this movie that is one hundred percent fucking uh, innocent. Like he's actually the one who's arguing against Jamie Fox in the beginning of the movie, where he's like, "Hey, uh, you really gonna let this guy off like that?" Like, really? You've got to tell the husband, like, in that, "Hey, you're responsible for this." Yeah, I can do that. Oh. I guess you don't have a soul then. And yet somehow that that goodness does not save Bruce McGill in this movie. Uh, but who... Okay, so this character tells them in a tunnel, uh, you're fucking with a mastermind who specialized in murdering people without anyone knowing it was a murderer. Cargill, take, think about that guy and tell me who should have played that character. Uh, I, think, I think they got the right guy, but you probably are thinking somebody else. Somebody who I might stand for every role we've ever talked about in a movie. Every time it's like, who do we dreamcast in this? Who do we replace the host of this TV show as? Who should play this character? What do I always fucking say? Michael Shannon. I feel like this was a missed opportunity to put Michael Shannon in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But in that way that like in the 90s, Donald Sutherland was the guy that always had the secret information that he talked to you about in front of a lake. Like um, information for you. Mark Wahlberg's going to be in this movie. What? No, he's not. Really? And then you have the Italian job. Yes, it's all coming full circle. I get it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, I actually, I love Michael Kelly in this role. Like, Michael Kelly comes on for this one scene and just kind of comes on. He's like, you know, just in a hat, in a tunnel going, all right, look, I know you normally get Donald Sutherland for this role, but I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, he's a scary motherfucker, guys. Like, this is is all the exposition you need for the movie. Uh, Like, all right, so if you need a guy dead, but you can't be in the room with him, this is the guy that does it. He came up with this idea to put you know, uh, fucking Kevlar in a tie. Wife finds him strangled. How do we get the Kevlar on the tie? We, uh, but, but couldn't put a guy in the room. We can't actually explain that because that would make too much goddamn sense. But we're going to explain that that sounds like some scary shit because that's what this guy does. Because really, what he does is sa- makes stuff that sounds scary, but it turns out he's dug a fucking tunnel. He's digging tunnels. Uh, I also want to talk about the fact that going back to the Batman comparison, it is Jamie Foxx who as the assistant district attorney is the world's greatest detective and not Cole Meany in this movie, who's an actual fucking detective. You know, I'm really ashamed that we got this far without mentioning Cole Meany because Cole Meany is one of those underappreciated actors. Genre fans, of course, know him uh, from Deep uh, Space Nine. Well, and from Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, um, I mean, well, that was the whole thing was he and Worf were the only two people that went over to Deep Space Nine. Um, he turns was, out I may not be a Trekker. And, and that's, that's. Oh, yeah. He uh, ran the transporter room and got it. He was in engineering and ran the transporter room and then went over to work on Deep Space Nine. So he's a Scottish guy that ran the transporter room. Really, really just stretching it. 
Next Generation. Oh, no. Really just, just that, that was not breaking an accident. new ground. Not a fucking accident. But yeah, so Cole Meany was, uh, but he's a really great actor. And and one of the few um, one of the few people from Trek who went on throughout his career to keep acting and stuff because he wasn't so typecast. Um, you know, a lot of the other actors ran into the problem that, yeah, Brent Spiner could show up in things and be really funny, but everybody's like, oh, it's Data. And it's like, no, we need somebody who everybody doesn't think is a Star Trek character. And Cole Meany was that. Cole Meany would just show up and stuff, and you'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, Cole Meany is Cole Meany should have been Gerard Butler's accent coach, because Cole Meany could pull off an American accent. Gerard Butler is like, it's like a Play-Doh fun factory, like when you push down, it's like him trying to keep all the Play-Doh in his head. Okay. Favorite unhinged Gerard Butler performance from a bad Gerard Butler movie. Oh, my God. I know, oh, I know. God. There's so many good ones to choose one. While you think I'm gonna just throw it on the table, gods of fucking Egypt. Like oh, he's Jesus. he just fucking goes for it. That movie is a nonsensical piece of shit. But you know what? Watching Gerard Butler in it is kind of glorious. Does he play Osiris or Oh Fuck You in that movie? Because I cannot <laughs> remember. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with London Has Fallen. The movie where he literally is just running around breaking everybody's necks. Just and, killing everyone. And just saying things like, go back to fuck Hedistan. It's like, you, what? We're getting away with this? We're getting away with saying this in a movie in 2016? Okay, Has Fallen franchise. I would also like to throw out there as a uh, also mentioned, uh, you know, a uh, and also ran, if you will, uh, Dracula 2000. Where he's a big fan of Monster Magnet. Can we talk about how there's a scene in that movie where he watches the Monster Magnet video for like 15 minutes? Monster Magnet wasn't as wasn't okay. Monster Magnet wasn't famous as long as Gerard Butler stands watching a Monster Magnet video in Dracula 2000. This is true. That is my yearbook quote. I also want to throw a special Space Lord motherfucker. I'm going to throw a special shout out to Gamer, a movie that is so inexplicable that it was shown with the reels out of order once at a theater and no one noticed. Dude, you and Luke stand for that movie so hard. I don't like it, but I can't stop watching it. I can't stop looking at it. I know. I don't I don't know what it is, but again, Think about a movie that makes sense to no one to the degree that they show it at a theater and the reels are out of order and no one complains. No one notices. I'm, I'm thinking that has to win. I also really love him in this. I love him, again, as the, the fucking Joker against Jamie Foxx's Batman. And he's just, like, blowing up all the cars in the parking lot. Again, killing interns because justice system is bad. So blow up cars like, okay, sure. All right. I guess, I guess that's what we're going with. I also want to talk about one part of his grand master plan that really has me laughing and hoping for a sequel in the scene where we figure out that his big finale is going to be blowing up city hall in Philadelphia, where the great Viola Davis is playing the mayor of Philadelphia. What the fuck is Viola Davis doing in this movie? First and foremost, like, Everybody else in this movie is great, and I'm like, I get why you're in this. Why is Viola Davis in this movie? I will tell you why. Please tell me why. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Ain't nothing but a cut check. Why is she in this movie, Gargoyle? She's in this movie because F. Gary Gray um, was sitting there going, we need somebody to read these guys the rights, and we need them to shrink. 
And we have an African-American actor that can't just be told by some old white guy that uh, he's fucked up. Like, we need someone the audience believes these guys would shrink from. We need somebody that fucking has the biggest balls in the room. And that's fucking Viola Davis. Right. Like, she's the reason you, you think she's too talented to be in this movie. And that's exactly why she's in this movie. Because th- he needed, F. Gary Gray needed to bring in someone with such gravitas that you'd see these two alpha males fucking shrink and know that they fucked up. That they're literally getting people killed because they're being run, they're being put to the paces by some guy who they should not be being put to the paces by. Why does this guy have you guys by the balls like this? Just fucking fix it. Do you know how badass she is? She's so badass that the guy she says, go get me the Bible. That's the actual mayor of Philadelphia at the time. <laughs> ah, That's ah. Michael Nutter, the actual fucking mayor of Philadelphia at the time. And fucking Viola Davis is like, go get me that Bible. Bitch, go get me that Bible. And standing next to her, the actual mayor of Philadelphia looks very small. Because <laughs> she's a fucking legend, man. She is exactly who she's you get. Like, if you need, that's the thing, is you get an actress with that fucking weight to where you go, oh, yeah, no, this isn't about gender. This isn't about alpha. This isn't about race. This is about one character who clearly has their shit together telling these other characters that they fucking don't. And she is one of those golden actresses that, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a golden few of actors and actresses that anything that comes out of their mouth the audience will believe she's one of them. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, Tilda is one of them. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is one of them. Uh, Mar- uh, Morgan Freeman is one of them. No matter what words come out of their mouth, the audience goes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Morgan yeah, Freeman yeah. will come on and go, it is a universe run by the derelicts in which every up is down and down is up. And the audience will be like, that makes sense to me. And you know, it's, and she's one of them. And so F Gary Gray knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. Cause there is not a moment. Like there's a whole thing. Like you look at the mayor from ghostbusters when the mayor from ghostbusters is ch- uh, played by actor, David Margulies. You'll notice there is no IMDb in front of me. I just fucking know that. Yeah. So they won't notice because they're not looking at you. But <laughs> I totally saw it. Nothing but respect. When he's like yelling at the Ghostbusters, you know, you feel they're being dressed down. But at the same time, you feel like he's out of place. Like he doesn't know what's going on. Like yeah. you don't understand. You don't get that sense with Viola Davis. Like when she's busting him down, they're like, you don't understand. She goes, I don't care if I don't understand. Fucking fix it. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's what it feels like to get dressed the fuck down. Even if you're in the right you're still feeling like you're in the wrong and that's what that moment is. And it's so good. Like bringing Viola Davis in for those moments like that is, she probably came in and shot for a day. Like, and that's how they got her. Like, all right, I'll do a Gerard Butler movie for a day and then comes in and fucking gets to dress down those two and then leaves. And, but bringing it back to the plot, the plot is he's going to blow up the mayor and the heads of all these state agencies who are, who are convening a special tribunal. How are we going to deal with Clyde? Clyde, who is in prison. Yeah. How are we going to deal with Clyde? And I love how they're like, why is he still in Philadelphia? Get him the fuck out. Like, bend whatever Great rule question. you have to. Just get him out of my city. Great question. And he's going to blow it up. And how is he going to blow it up? Because he is a janitor. He's moonlighting as a janitor. And I say moonlighting because when he walks in on that day, the security guard knows him. Which fucking means this is a long con situation. He has been pretending to be this janitor every night for at least a fucking month. 
So he literally sets up a company that is a small business, that guy's fucking cleaning company, and this security guard knows him. I submit to you, there is a prequel movie that is just about Gerard Butler cleaning City Hall at Philadelphia every night for a goddamn month. It's literally just law-abiding citizen two, urinal cakes have fallen. Like, it's just him fucking cleaning the... This is the longest of long cons. This plan is so elaborate, he's literally had to moonlight as a janitor for a goddamn month at the very least. And that is insane to me. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I love this movie, because it just fucking makes no fucking sense. And I'm watching this scene with my wife, and, you know, they're searching his, uh, his, his little cleaning cart, and then you see him putting the bomb together. My wife's like, wait, they searched the cart. I'm like, he's been in here enough. He's been sneaking these parts in one by one, waiting for this day. Because he doesn't take them out of the cart. He takes them out of a room in City Hall. Which, again, lends credence to the idea that he's been slowly sneaking these parts into City Hall by cleaning it night after night after night. This is a fucking ridiculously complicated plan. When he could have just killed these dudes outright. I, I just... This movie is nuts. This movie is... Is way the fuck over the top and it doesn't care that upon any amount of scrutiny that it falls apart because it knows that you're going to be too busy watching Joker Gerard Butler and Batman Jamie Foxx go at each other and I'll be good goddamn if that's not exactly what I'm watching and loving about this movie. Cargill, I kind of love this movie. I know. You've been talking about this movie for years. It's so I bad. I have been putting the kibosh on this. It's so bad, but I kind of fucking adore this movie. And the ending. Let's talk about the ending. Let's talk Let's about Let's talk about the ending. The ending of this movie where we realize that Gerard Butler is not the only one with superpowers. Because apparently, Jamie Foxx can teleport. Oh, yes. Jamie Foxx is Nightcrawler because we cut from a scene of him finding the bomb in the room right before it's supposed to go off to him beating Clyde back to the cell with the bomb and having the like having the time to rig up a handcuff, like handcuffing it to the bed and just waiting it out. And I'm like, how did I literally don't know how he did that because we see him find the bomb as Gerard Butler is pulling into the warehouse that is the secret tunnel back into his prison cell. And yet somehow Jamie Foxx is already there when he gets back. What's what? How? What? But. Mm. Okay. I guess he just has the power to teleport. None of it makes fucking sense. I'm aware. <laughs> I need you to acknowledge this. So I, I don't feel like I'm insane. I'm acknowledging because I'm still like, I get stuck right before you where I get really stuck is like, why did Gerard Butler not think to put in something that wouldn't allow that to be moved? Right. Like that's literally the one thing that all bomb makers that make those kind of bombs literally do. It is a big thing from the Iraq war, which happened six years, be- started six years before this movie came out of creating these bombs out of a very simple thing that if you jostle it at all, it goes off. So they should have just picking it up, killed all those people in the above room as planned. Like that, yeah. that's part of the plan that if someone moves it, it blows up. And if I end up not killing the people I'm gunning for, well, at least I killed somebody who thought they were doing it and did the damage and then created more chaos. But you know, no, he's like, no, I mean, if somebody comes by and notices this thing shouldn't be in this room, well, then I guess my whole plan is fucked. Um, and yeah. then Jamie Foxx will gain teleportation powers and teleport into my cell with the bomb and then leave it with me uh, because I don't have time to react yeah. um, at all. But I want to talk about how this leads to 
the shot in the movie that I think makes this movie. Oh, yeah. The fucking explosion sequence where Gerard Butler's just sitting Slow there. motion flame. Oh, it's so good. It's so good it's in the fucking trailer, which it really shouldn't be, but it's... It's not. What did you... We just watched it. Yes, we did. Except in that shot, it's shot from behind Gerard Butler, and in front of him, the wall is bursting into flame, which looks like some weird kind of metaphor. It is not him sitting in the cell the way he is. Well, I mean, it's him in the cell, and there's fire. I mean, we're splitting. Yeah, we're but splitting we have no idea. Here. No, no, no. But the way that looks doesn't look like Gerard Butler has just is in a slow motion explosion. It's a oh, this is a cutesy trailer shot of this that is metaphorical. Um, it was, it's, it doesn't look literal it, the way it is. They, they really did flip it on us and make it so that we don't feel like we are witnessing the last shot of the fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like, which isn't the last shot, but it should be the last. And shot. I feel like ultimately Clyde wins because Clyde he does Clyde's whole message of this movie is the justice system is broken and the way Jamie Foxx defeats that idea is being the acting district attorney who blows up a criminal in custody that is that is the initial thing that I started with the beginning of this uh, podcast which is I honestly feel like Gerard Butler not only wins but if we told this story from his point of view as a guy losing his mind who just needs to get through to this dude who is now the acting district attorney uh, and because he's to, fucked up enough to be the district attorney. He is now the district attorney of Philadelphia that, hey, by the way, this shit doesn't work. And now it is. And it's like, no, I'm going to make sure criminals go fucking down. He has just done everything he intended to do. This was never really about the guys that did this to his wife and child because they were animals. This guy was supposed to be the good guy and he failed. And so that's what I have a problem with with the muddled message here. Choose a side. You don't get to drive up the middle, and this is a good example of why you don't get to ride up the middle and have your cake and eat it, too. Like, choose. Is Gerard Butler right, or is uh, uh, Jamie Foxx right? One of them has to be right in this for your message to work. If which you is just, why The Dark Knight works. Yes, yeah. which is where if you wa- if the audience walks, you want the audience to walk out of this going, oh, we're going to argue about this. No, we're not. We're going to argue that you had no idea what you were saying. Yeah, that's what we, we ended up talking about. We didn't end up going out. Is he right? Is he right? It's like they're both right. and They're both assholes. Like, that's the problem with assholes is there. You know, people generally aren't just wrong in an asshole. There's usually a small part of them that's right, yeah. which convinces them that being an asshole is OK. And both of these guys are a little bit right. And they're both fucking assholes. Like at the end of the day, none of these guys like Jamie Foxx gets redeemed by that ending that. Oh, yeah. By the way. I'm not going to allow, you know, I'm not going to worry about my prosecution rate. I'm going to make sure these guys get punished before they can hurt more people because that's what Gerard Butler was trying to teach me the whole time. But Gerard Butler had to go through all this. And frankly, as far as Gerard Butler was concerned, he died the day his family did. The whole reason why he becomes obsessed with death and becomes great at killing people is because the young tinkerer in him that was building cool shit in the same room with his daughter is dead. And so all of this is up to this. So finally, he's accomplished what he set out to do. He dies spectacularly after being outwitted by the guy who's going to go on and be a great district attorney. And that was his whole fucking point. But here's the other part of that that doesn't work is that the last shot of this movie is Jamie Foxx, who's been absent from all of his uh, his daughter's other cello recitals, going to a cello recital. So the other lesson he learns is to 
not be so dedicated to his work, but be more dedicated to his family. And I feel like Gerard Butler's whole point was you should dedicate yourself more to the actual practice of law instead of just cutting these deals to keep your conviction rate high. I think that shot is a leftover from the version of this that has the envelope with pictures of him. Let's talk about this. Which Where did you watch this movie? Can I ask you that? What, what In a theater. No, I mean, like, did you rewatch it for the show? Yes. Okay. How? Like, what streaming service did you use? Uh, I, wa- I I rented it off Amazon. Okay, me too. I'm wondering, because there is apparently an extended cut of this movie where there are scenes, very violent scenes and some other things, quote unquote, that were taken out to avoid an NC-17. So now that we've been talking about all this very probable reshoot stuff, I kind of feel like I want to watch the extended version and see if, in addition to the stuff that was clearly cut to avoid the, the rating being NC-17... Were there any scenes that kind of tie up these loose ends that we're talking about? Or is this movie just a, a runaway train? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I think I I I I honestly think some of this stuff was reshot. I think I, agree with you I think whatever I mean, I can't imagine that the tunnel stuff was reshot. I I have to imagine that was integral to the story, but it feels like there was something bigger going on that the audience didn't buy into. But I wanted to see the version of this movie where he just really was this mastermind who set all this stuff into motion. And that we come to a point where um, uh, Jamie Foxx just needs to go, hey, um, I need to stop thinking like me and start thinking like him. How does he think I'm going to react? And how would I react if I knew that? So what's the thing I could do that he would not see coming? And that's the problem I have with the climax of this movie is... I don't know how Gerard Butler didn't see that coming. Yeah. That he thought he was going to be so protected on this that no one would figure that out. I, he had to know there was a ticking clock on that if he was smart. But So is this all, okay, let's go back to the David Fincher reference we made at the very beginning of the show. So is this a John Doe situation where it's like he knows he's going to die. It's not about surviving. It's not oh, about I think that's winning. absolute. It's about somebody else learning a lesson. What else is the end game? Like, what else is the end game of the, like, there, there isn't a moment that he's like, oh shit, this is supposed to happen. And then that and that, and fuck, you got me. You stopped the big plan. There is no big plan uh, evolution. Like the whole time when you go through and break down this movie, he's just trying to get Jamie Foxx to make this decision. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx finally makes it. And he keeps putting him in situations like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are you going to? He keeps fucking with him and needling him in ways. He's like, what's it going to take for you to take me seriously and do what you know you need to do, which is execute some real justice? Yeah. Like, that's all I'm fucking asking for. You can't even do it to me. I am destroying your life and you can't even do it to me. Yeah. And no, I think this is absolutely a John Doe situation, but without the brilliant John Doe ending, because in the end of seven, you know, John Doe won. Like, that's just the thing. He's like, do it, you know, finish this. Like he could walk away in that moment and he can't do it. And he knows John Doe knows that's, he can't do that's it. That's the scene that's missing. Instead of this yeah. movie ending, instead of this movie ending with Jamie Foxx at that recital, it ends with Jamie Foxx in the back of a fucking squad car. You know what I mean? Like it like Brad Pitt doesn't go home and like watch a DVD at the end of that fucking movie after he's killed John Doe. It's like, no, that that was very specifically a downfall moment. And the Tinkerer, by the way, sounds like a fucking Batman villain. Uh, the Tinkerer, I think, is a daredevil villain. Is it really? There is a guy named the Tinkerer, and I can't. No shit. He may actually be a Fantastic Four villain. Um, and now that I think I think the Tinkerer actually. Is he different the, from Toy Man? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh 
Toy Man might be Daredevil. Tinkerer is Fantastic Four. I think he's the guy that made the anti-gravity discs. Um, I'm sure you'll get plenty of people on uh, the Twitters telling you which which character the Tinkerer is. But the Tinkerer is actually, I think, a 1960s villain. Like uh, Sheath your tweets because the Tinkerer, Phineas Mason, is a fictional character appearing in the American comic books published by Marvel Comics, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. The character first made his appearance in Amazing Spider-Man number 2, May of 1963. He has the almost superhuman gift of genius and engineering, Able to invent sophisticated gadgets from nothing more than spare parts. Left. He is. That's that's Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. That's Jerry Butler in this movie. 1, yeah, but I think he went on to be a Fantastic Four villain. I really want to. Uh, he designed Rocket Racer's rocket-powered skateboard. Uh, he also provided Whirlwind with improved armor and weaponry. Uh, he's worked for Hammerhead, The Beetle, The Black Cat, Jack-O-Lantern, a lot of things that I am learning about. Oh, he is forced to work for the Vulture. Um... Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess he is a Spider-Man villain. Uh, in the Secret War, Nick Fury discovers a link between the weaponry. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. There's a there's a rich history for. The oh, Tinkerer. I'm thinking yes. I'm mixing him up with the Wizard. Oh, the kid with the power glove. No. Oh, okay. Then I have no idea what you're talking about. No. Someone else probably listening is like, no, Cargill, you're talking about the Wizard. That's not the Tinker. You're mixing up the Wizard and the Tinkerer. Which both sound like college friends of yours. Can I just throw that out? They sound like the nicknames of your college friends, the Tinkerer and the Wizard. Um, This is not inaccurate. I know. Yeah. Wow. That's that's deeply not inaccurate. I once lived in a house where everyone, there were eight of us living in the same two-bedroom apartment, and everyone had a nickname except for Hans, because when you're born with the name Hans, you don't need a nickname. That's true. Especially no, no, no. That was that was our theory. That was a running thing. And he's like, "Yeah, no, I don't need a nickname." So he was just Hans, dude. Living in a house with a bunch of movie nerds. We had are you bear. Fucking kidding me? We had bear. We had chicken hawk. We had the dude in the chair. Um, dude in the chair. Dude in the chair. Dude in the chair paid fifty dollars a month, and he rented the chair in the corner of the room. He slept in that chair. He ate in that chair. He watched movies in that chair. And everyone just called him Dude. And so ultimately, he was Dude in the Chair. Dude in the Chair was going to be the alternate title of Lee Wanell's Invisible Man. Yes, it was. <laughs> Which, by the way, I hear is spectacular. I can't fucking wait to see that movie. Uh, yeah. No, but no. You guys might think, oh, God, Cargill's kidding. No, I, that was literally just a truth bomb right there. This is this is where I got the nickname Massa Worm while everyone was up drunk and high in the middle of the night one night. Like, this is, the, like, everybody in the house... Uh, there was a guy named Buddy that was not his real name. His name was Edward. Um, like, everybody had a nickname except Hans. I get it. No, I totally get it. You were in this. I'm just getting warmed up. And that brings us to the junk food pairing, which in this movie, you may think I'm going to go with that elaborate steak dinner. But that that to me was so refined. And That's so, not junk food. So haute cuisine. that. It, but there was one element, Cargill. One Element that was requested but not delivered, by the way, but did result in the delivery of one of the greatest lines of this whole movie, which is, fuck you, palm frites. Which, I just want to point that out again, Oscar winner Jamie Foxx had to say in this movie, fuck your palm frites. And you might be thinking, palm frites, isn't that just French for french fries? Which is kind of a like a, uh, a redundant thing that makes your head explode? No, Apparently, there is a difference between french fries and palm frites, and that palm frites are usually going to be uh, fried in some animal fat or some tallow. Yeah. Or they're they're going to be a lot richer. I, I feel like you should have yourself a big plate of palm frites and watch the delightful insanity that is law-abiding citizen. Because you're not abiding by the laws of uh, of cholesterol and your 
you know, fried. I mean, that's great. I, I would go. Palm frites is great. I would say that if ever there was a movie that was a Philly cheesesteak of a movie, <laughs> it's got your Philly, it's got your cheese, and it's got your steak. This is a Philly cheesesteak movie. Can I? Can I suggest that that Philly cheesesteak not be purchased from Pat's, not be purchased from Gino's, but from a 7-Eleven? Because it's like, you understand the core concept of a Philly cheesesteak sandwich, but it starts to fall apart the minute you try to eat it. Much like this movie. By the way, have you done Way South Philly here in Austin? I have not. Oh. Oh, my... For first of all, like all of you Austinites, if you've never done Way South Philly, they actually have a brick and mortar now. You should definitely go to Way South Philly. I feel I feel sorrow in my soul that you haven't been to Way South Philly. I often bring sorrow to your soul. That's because, kind of first of all, they sell authentic Philly cheesesteaks of various varieties. Second of all, every single cheesesteak on the menu is named after a character in the Rocky series. Go on. And the sandwiches are fucking delicious. There's one of them named after the mutant bear from Prophecy. There's, they're all named oh, after no. characters from the Rocky No, movie. but you can get an Apollo Creed. You can get, uh, like, everyone is there. Like, nice. if, if they're a character, there's an Adrian, you know, there's if they're a significant character in the series, they have a sandwich, and that sandwich is delicious. And the place is called Way South Philly in Austin, and it's somebody who moved here from Philly to make Philly cheesesteaks in Austin, and it's fucking great. It started as a food trailer. Now they've got brick and mortar. I don't know why you made me think of this. But now all I want in the whole world is for someone to do a ROM of the N64 GoldenEye game. But instead of characters from the James Bond franchise, it's characters from the Rocky franchise. Well, you can play as Rocky. You can but play you as- can only But you can only play with slaps. Yes! 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 So you can play as Rocky. You could be Ivan Drago. You could be Apollo Creed. You could be Clubber Lang. You could be fucking... Uh, luscious lips. By the way, the Club Berlang is delicious. I'm sure it is delicious. But tell me how fun that fucking game would be. All Especially slaps, all no slaps. odd job. Oh. <laughs> Except that the odd job in the movie would be Robbie the Robot. Yes, it would be. Ro- no, it'd be Pauly. Pauly would be the fucking odd job. He's got a fucking cigar in his mouth as he's just chopping on one knee. He's like, get up! Hey, Rock! Hey, Rock! Hey, Rock! Every time he hits you, that's what you hear. Oh my! And then every time he hits you, instead of losing uh, it, like life, you lose money because he fucking spends all your fucking money. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why is that not a game? Somebody please make that a game, and please, please, Jacob Booth, continue to listen to the show now that we have fulfilled your patron request and covered. One of my weirdest guilty pleasure movies ever, and that is Law Abiding Citizen with the great Gerard Butler. I feel at some point we should just do one episode on the entire Has Fallen franchise. By the way, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. How pissed off do you think Jamie Foxx is that he's in this movie with Gerard Butler and they were both in White House Assault movies and one of them spawned a franchise and one of them did not? I don't know, man. The guy dated Katie Holmes for six years, so... I don't think he's yeah. too depressed. I guess that's true. I guess Jamie Foxx can cry into his Oscar while Gerard Butler keeps making he cry. Fall. He can cry into his Oscar and the memories of of living with Katie Holmes for six years while Gerard Butler, you know, sells his beautiful $7 million Manhattan home. Gerard Butler sends him a text trying to brag about it, and Jamie Foxx just responds, Oscar has fallen. Ha ha ha, stealth. Fuck you, Geostorm. <laughs> but stealth is all kinds of bad. All kinds of... Oh, my God. Are we pretending that Geostorm isn't? No, but I like Geostorm. I don't like stealth. <laughs> I don't think anyone likes stealth. I'm, I'm not sure 
where I get the authority to be on this high horse. I know this is a weird, this is a weird uh, road you've chosen to go down. My friend, this is a, this is a weird hill that I will die on, but I, I, I would watch, I would watch Geostorm in Portuguese with no subtitles before I would ever fucking watch stealth again. At least you'd learn how to say Geostorm in Portuguese. <laughs> you say it so many fucking times. Can you imagine that scene where they're cutting his lines and it's like corruption at highest level, but it's in Portuguese and they have to like cut those words. Oh my God. That would actually kind of be a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Cargill, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Massaworm. That's M-A-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M. And my other podcast right along um, where uh, I... Talk about writing advice with Dave Chen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Nice. You can find me on Twitter at Guy Salisbury or at Junk Food Cinema, filling filling the feed with all of the weird shit that you've come to expect from us. And to end the show, I want to remind you, just as Jamie Foxx said, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove in court. Like, for example, I can prove in court beyond a reasonable doubt that doing a GoldenEye version with all the Rocky characters where you can play slaps only would be the greatest game of all time. Because you know why? That game slaps. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.